Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the Marketing Minds at DoConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you. We're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today is Becca, Julie, and Bryce. Welcome to episode 108. Andrew's on vacation. Yes. So this is the episode that we talk all about Andrew all the time. (laughs) (laughs) At least I told him we were going to. So I'm I'm sure he's feeling very nervous as he's going on his downhill mountain biking adventure with his family at the moment. So we have Julie and Bryce, Becca number two and three. (laughs) And then on a call this past week, Mike had a good point that even though Julie is Becca number two, and Bryce is Becca number three. She's also Julie number one and Bryce number one, respectively. There's only one of you. So (laughs) welcome, Bryce. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Have you, you can be honest. Mm -hmm. It's okay. You'll just, might not come back tomorrow. Have you listened to the (laughs) podcast? I have, actually. I've been listening. I went back and listened from uh, episode one. On a car ride, where was I going? I couldn't even recall where I was going, but I listened to it a whole entire car ride. I wouldn't remember either because I'd be so <laughs> enthralled in the podcast that I forget <laughs> where I was headed. And you have been on the podcast before. I have. Although you at the the summit. Yeah, at the summit. Okay, I didn't know if the cocktail party had gone on too long and you wouldn't remember that, or if it was <laughs> if if it was in your mind still or not. Yeah. So great to have you. Let's get on to the show with story time. Becca, you want to kick us off? Yeah, I got one. So it's super important to own your own stuff, like your logins to Facebook and your ads manager account. This week we were working on trying to get a new builder buddy added. And turns out they had a hard time getting access to accounts they thought they owned. They just had access, so they couldn't share them and get uploaded. So we had to kind of work around that. St- still a problem. And, and unfortunately, the workaround is we have to make a whole new page, hopefully still temporarily until Facebook yeah. can wrangle ownership. Facebook often will help brands who have issues like this where an agency has ownership. So eventually, well, actually, Bryce, you went through this, right? <laughs> yeah, Yourself. I did personally. And how long though did it take you? It took, it took a while before... Yeah, it takes a while. You even have to get a letter notarized. There's a few different processes you have to go through just to show that you actually own your own company. It's a little bizarre, but yeah, there's a few different steps. Yeah. So you can get there, but this builder wants to be able to participate in the best market we've ever had. And they can't right now or couldn't because they didn't have ownership of their own page. So even if we made a new ad account, the page itself, which is kind of important, uh, not in there. That's a good one, Becca. And it, I think it shocks me that that still happens. I'll, t- I'll add on another story where someone else that I was working with on a project said, yeah, you know, I, I own it. Here you go. Have access. And then the agency was like, no, don't do that. And so, I mean, even when you have ownership, you just have to... It's okay to tell everyone that you're working with, like, I, I own this stuff. And if there's any question, it's mine. Right? It just, But it still happens all the time where people think they have ownership and all they really have is access. So make sure you know the difference. Check it out. Know, know where you stand. I think it's also worth saying a lot of times, this is Julie talking, a lot of times, you know, you have new home consultants or somebody in the company opening different pages for different oh, neighborhoods yeah. and this and that. <laughs> and so that makes it even more things to wrangle and they're no longer with the company. So it's just something to keep top of mind, keep on top of. Yeah. And pro tip right at the stop. Right, right at the top of the show, use the locations option in Facebook to turn on locations underneath your your corporate page versus each one creating a truly separate page. Much easier to manage and keep keep that control. That's good. Good point, Julie. Bryce, on your first episode, no pressure. Do you have a story time? <laughs> I actually, story? I actually kind of do. So, my boyfriend's dad just bought a house. That- I would say about three weeks ago and they were putting some money into it to get painting done and new floorings and stuff. Well, they just moved in last weekend and their neighbor came to them and said that the four houses on the street had Chinese drywall installed in it and nobody disclosed it to them at all. 
So what does that mean? They have to tear it out. It is a smell. It's got yeah. unsafe material. What is, I know that there was the drywall that smells like rotten eggs a couple of years that's, ago. Is that what we're talking about? That's exactly it. So between 2001 and 2009, homes were being built with Chinese drywall being imported in. And it's, there's a chemical balance in the drywall that is throwing off a lot of different things. But one, stuff is corroding a lot quicker that are connected to the wall. So you're going through washers and dryers and ovens and stoves and everything else so much quicker, but it's also got a lot of non-benefits um, attached to it. Well, this only confirms what yeah. we've always known is that used homes are not just not as nice, mm-hmm. but they're also dangerous. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Stick with new homes, people. My story time segment is a different one for me only because I don't normally get involved in branding or rebranding conversations. But one of our builder partners today, marketing manager said, hey, the division president essentially has asked for you to give us feedback on our brand and what we need to do. And so I I gave said feedback. And you know the logo could certainly be cleaned up, tightened up, made better. The homepage of their website has, I think, at least seven different fonts on it. And it's like, you know, it's, there's a lot of issues here, but they're not enormous. The brand itself certainly needs a little bit of a refresh, but the website is also a, a big problem. And what struck me as interesting was, remember, that this was all started out by the division president wanting to know how the brand was doing. And then as we went through the list of things that probably should, should be addressed, if there's concern there, her next thought was, well, by the way, they're never going to do any of this because it costs too much money <laughs> to, <laughs> to do it. And I think their website had been done this time three and a half, four years ago. So that's a little young in terms of website years, potentially. But, and a lot of times when people think about rebranding, the biggest concern that owners will have, and this surprises marketers sometimes, is wait, I have to pay how much to redo signs that are perfectly yeah. good right now, right? Yeah. There's, sometimes people, when they rebrand, they want the magical switch to hit at midnight. The fairy godmother just makes everything change overnight. And that's certainly much more expensive than a rolling change where you just say, we're going to wait till that sign fades or it gets crooked or needs to be for some other purpose and then redo. And, and how big of a change your brand makes might dictate whether that's even an option for you. But I thought it was interesting. And I, I just asked her, I said, well, didn't they ask the question of how is our brand? And, and yet they don't necessarily want the answer. And, and that just peeled me one layer back to start thinking about how those above us or sometimes beside us and other parts of the company, they don't even know the questions they're asking sometimes. Like they feel compelled to ask it or to want to know but they don't really... So, so then what is it that they really want to know? And so that was part of my request was for her to go back and say, hey, you know, I, I know you asked about the rebranding question or the brand question. And Kevin and I did talk about it. But I'm also just curious, why, why was that on your mind? You know, sometimes we got to go back in and dig for the why behind. And, and especially when you're new in your career or new with a builder, that feels risky to, to ask that one extra question. But it's a skill that you need to develop and it'll help you long-term in your career to stay focused on what's important. Absolutely. Yep. Julie, you got anything? Okay, (laughs) I do. Kind of going off our question of the week, you know, we've been talking about relocations and whether people are seeing Uh more people relocating. And I was the fill-in for our OSD for a long time. And what I thought was interesting is I could pick out the people who were relocating and from out of state because the first thing they would ask about is storm shelters. Because I was from Oklahoma. That was their first concern. Same, we moved to Louisiana. And, you know, my first thing was not wanting to be in a flood zone, just because you don't feel comfortable with it. And it's funny, like on my Facebook, all my Oklahoma friends, the alligator thing really freaks them out a lot. So, you know, everybody has their their thing. But I would just say to remember when you're, you're talking to marketing to your OSCs, talking to people who are relocating, they have a different set of questions that they want to ask or don't know to ask. Mm. Also, if your website is talking about, do you want to live in this area or this area, they may not even be familiar with what you're talking about. So you really have to make that clear. Also, a lot of times, you know, people from your market are going to know exactly what area they want to live in. And if you try to 
move them out of that. They're like, no, 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 this school district, this whatever, my family. But sometimes a little education for those people who are relocating, they can figure out that another area might fit a little better. So anyway, just keep that in mind that as people are relocating, it's a whole different set of what they need help with. I think that's fantastic. Even when you're normally on a builder website, you've got the you know, view different submarket or area, and then you've got the option to just click on all communities or just the communities button. And it takes you to a page that shows all the communities. And normally, all that's there is the map, of course, the infamous map that, that must be there. And then a listing of all the communities. But to your point, Julie, you reminded me that we did have this, an old version of the Heartland site. Where it was like, hey, if you're not certain what any of these areas are, click here. Or if you're relocating, click here. And it would either bring them to a pop-up or a different page that gave them just more context of this is what it means to live in the South Hills of Pittsburgh as a, as a general rule. Like if you live in the South Hills, going out to the store is an event. Like you pack up the kids, bring bottled water and a snack because it just takes a while to get around and get, get to and from. If you live in the West of, of Pittsburgh, well, then you've got Robinson Mall and everything right there. And it's just no big deal. You just run out to the store and, and come back. So yeah. Giving people more context is a great And I would say people who are relocating, because we did a few years ago, are hungry for content. So, you know, as you're creating content, I remember I was searching hashtags on or locations on Instagram, just looking for people who were mentioning the area I was moving to just because I was trying to get some sense. So I think that might be an opportunity, you know, if you're looking for content because they're hungry for it if they're thinking about moving. Yep. Or a whole separate podcast episode if you're... Uh, a builder doing a podcast series would be, let's just talk about relocating to the area. All right, heading over to the news from marketingland.com. This is a short one. The article really just pushes you to a a guide that they want you to download, but I just love the headline so much I had to include it. The cost of a bad lead in 2020. (laughs) The demand marketer's guide. And the subheading here is many marketers and senior leaders are unaware of the hidden costs and negative impact that bad leads have on their business and revenue generation efforts. And, you know, part of me looked at that and thought, really? And then I reminded, you know, I go back and all the conversations that I've had just even in the past week and a half. And you're like, yep, everyone still needs this, 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 (laughs) Thais, if you're listening, I know you are because you're producing today's episode. This is a great, are you allowed to steal headlines? Um, <laughs> this, is, this one's just great. I love it. But you know, they say, by now you know that 100 good leads are better than 300 dead leads. And I, I think maybe this is the question of the week. Does your builder or ownership understand <laughs> that 100 <laughs> good leads are better than 300 dead leads? You guys have all worked for builders. What percentage of the time do you think the conversation was about quantity versus quality of leads? I would say at least 50%. And it, it depended on which of the owners was talking. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say right now, especially the OSCs are, some of them, depending on the builder, are already overwhelmed with, with leads right now. So we want to make sure that we're not giving them extra bad leads to, to yeah. lead through. Also, first off, if they say they're bad leads, make sure they actually are bad leads. Don't Great point. <laughs> take their word for it. Take a look and make sure they're still getting followed up with properly. And then number two, yeah, if they're overwhelmed, making sure they're not digging through a bunch of people that shouldn't be there in the first place. Yep. And these are just kind of self-check questions, but that they listed them out here. I think it's a good, good way to think through it if you haven't before, but what defines a good lead to your point, Julie, good lead does not mean just the source it's from. You can get bad leads from your own website. If you've got a really stupid call to action, you can get great leads from someplace like new home source, where a lot of people believe that, you know, it's more of a quantity over quality. What makes a lead bad? Kind of the reverse of that, how to calculate the cost of a bad lead. And this is like trying to sell someone, I I call it trying to sell someone the hole inside of the donut versus the donut. (laughs) Like there are actual donut (laughs) holes that are physical objects that you can purchase. But if you're trying to sell someone on the value of a donut based upon the empty air in the middle, it's really hard to do. And to calculate the cost of a bad lead, which you have to understand is how you're mucking up the engine of the whole funnel because you're putting in too many leads and you can't tell quickly or easily, which ones are good or bad. 
And this is partly why I was having a little Twitter spat with someone over <laughs> automation in marketing as well, because their point was, look, if no one's following up based upon our surveys, survey data, that builders are not following up with builders, then at least we should do automated marketing to make sure that everyone's getting something. And my point is that right now, especially, but even in, in its entirety of time, the problem has actually been that there's too many people asking for information to know the difference. And so what automation ends up doing is treating everyone as if they're the poorest, low-quality lead possible. And I just don't I think we just need to be hiring more human beings. Humans are actually really cheap right now. And whether you believe the employment numbers or not, like there's, more, there's lots of people signing up for unemployment still and continuing unemployment. There's also a lot of people getting jobs right now. And it just hit me to, I'm like, I wonder if some companies are realizing just how inexpensive humans are. And there's, there's talent out there right now. Before I mm-hmm. left, the mm-hmm. last builder I was working at, you know, somebody got laid off from an online sales job in a different industry. Great, you know, a great person, a great find that we wouldn't have found otherwise. So yeah, there's, there's talent out there right now looking for jobs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you've got a too many lead problem and you're not doing really dumb marketing that's getting you high quantities of... Like, here's the thing. A lot of marketers know that leads are bad. They just can't admit it because that's their main metric or the things that the sales department demands from them. So, But, but if you know that your lead quality is overall pretty good, you just need more humans. That's, that's the best answer possible. All right, moving on. Okay, probably the most lively and fun discussion we're going to have today is on this next one from DigiDay. I still can't remember how we found DigiDay, but it seems to just, it's one of those sites that pops back up on a regular basis. It's, it's in our rotation, I guess I should say. But the, the headline is, the Facebook ad boycott could help publishers swing the pendulum back to context. Before we break down the article, now this is a scary one, I know, because this is probably the most political-ish or had the potential to be the most political-ish conversation we have. Any thoughts on the Facebook boycott in general in terms of should builders be doing it? Have you heard of builders who who have joined in on the boycott? Has anyone asked you about this question? Anything? I had not, no builders I've heard have asked about it that I've heard of. It's funny, it actually came up at dinner last night with my family. They said something about it and... I was like, well, you know, beyond the political stuff and all that, I was like, half of my job right now is Facebook. (laughs) So it feels like a a little bit of a personal conversation to me because that's a lot of my my job right now. But something that's probably not on, it's definitely not in this article and aren't what other people are thinking about. One place I read about this, you know, I'd heard about it, it kind of been in the business marketing circles. But then when the flip switch, I probably shouldn't admit that I read these, but it was like on a celebrity website because of the Prince Harry, Meghan Markle <laughs> connection. To it because then they started calling companies, asking them. So I thought that was interesting how it was kind of in our world. And then all of a sudden you connect some different names to it and it turned into like a, it, it kind of tapped into pop culture all of a sudden. It was an odd thing. So anyway, that's my kind of random thoughts on it. I love it. Any, anyone else have anyone ask them or reference no. it? No. Nobody has really. No. Here's the, um, so let me first just say, if you believe strongly in something and you don't do it, then you're a wuss. So if you, if you personally or as a company really believe that there's a problem here and you don't do something, then there's something wrong. You should do what you believe. My more skeptical side, if you remember when the pandemic first hit, For example, Coca-Cola announced that they were going to reduce all brand advertising or the majority of brand-specific advertising on mass media. So television, radio, billboards, et cetera, they were were pulling the plug in a big way. And all that was left when you do that for a lot of brands who followed suit was digital. Well, now here's the thing. It's not just home builders who are doing amazingly well. Chick-fil-A, of all places was with a group of of people yesterday for for a Bible study. This guy is like, yeah, my son works at Chick-fil-A and they just had the best month in the store's history. And the best month before that was May. So May and June, highest revenue numbers for that store ever. 
Because guess what? If everyone goes through the drive-through and everyone does takeout, as long as you can keep producing the food, you can get many more people through than when they come sit in a booth Mm -hmm. and then leave. And you're also not giving them free refills. Right. So there's just lots of benefits for the organization. <laughs> so, so, it's also good comfort food during a very stressful few months. Well, yeah. let me tell you, I think I said this before, but if I didn't, when there was this supposed meat shortage, I shouldn't say supposed, there, it was hard to find meat, at least where we were. And I jokingly told my family, like, I know who has all the chicken, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so you go to Chick-fil-A, you can get a packet of 30 nuggets for, I think, 12 bucks, just the nuggets on their own. Uh-huh. You get two packs of nuggets. It can feed a family of six for two meals. So, or you just you, know, you cut it up and put it on salads the next day. It's fantastic. So if there's ever a meat problem, you go to Chick-fil-A. But my point <laughs> is a lot of companies that are not directly affected by the pandemic are doing incredibly well from a revenue standpoint. Or the other half of this is they don't have enough stuff to sell because guess where it's made? In places that are shut down or where yeah. supply mm-hmm. chains are low. For instance, you cannot find a bike. You cannot buy a Peloton. You cannot get home gym equipment. Why? So, so if you are Peloton, should you be advertising right now? No. no. If, if you are Coca-Cola, and guess what? You're still already obsessed with either Coke or Pepsi, and neither of the two shall mix unless the restaurant you're at says, I'm sorry, we don't have a Coke. Would you <laughs> like a Pepsi? Or vice versa. Their marketing on their cans is everywhere. Like, yes, you need to continue to build the brand long-term and invest in it, but do you need to do it in the middle of a pandemic when sales are already through the roof? And that's where I think a lot of it is come from. And there was actually a discussion, the Houston Realtor Association, I think it was, or the HAR announced in a press release that they were going to remove the, the use of the word master bedroom in all of the floor plans. And that's a great thing. But there is, again, Twitter is an interesting place to, to just watch conversations happen by people that you don't have to be connected with. And there is a kerfuffle, which is a technical term going on, of, of people being like, good for doing it. Why is there a press release? Because this isn't really the problem. The problem is there's examples of, of places like in Long Island where minorities were simply not shown properties intentionally, it appears, in order to, to prevent them from living in a certain area. That's the problem. And John Legend jumped in and, and said as much on his half as well. So there's a healthy skepticism of companies who have done nothing and then start to do something just because everyone's talking about it. And I think that's fair. The skepticism is fair. I'm not saying they shouldn't do anything. I'm just saying the skepticism of if a marketer is involved, you shouldn't trust a marketer. You shouldn't even <laughs> trust any of us unless you know us enough to have a sense that you should trust them. So that was a five-minute diatribe of me getting back to the point of I'm really skeptical about the reason for a lot of this because especially if you came out early, you've gotten a lot of press. And that press correlates into probably all the advertising you need for the rest of a month that is probably going to be your best month ever again. So all that being said, again, both sides, if you believe in it, you should do it. A lot of the people who are not doing it, in fact, Coca-Cola said, by the way, they implicitly said, we're not doing this to join the actual movement. We're just reevaluating all of our social media spend, period. And then my last kind of, I don't believe marketers most of the time, is that they're, it started out as a Facebook thing. But most of the people who have said they're not going to be doing advertising, it's moved beyond Facebook to Twitter, Snapchat, all these other places as well. And last I checked, Twitter was getting high-fived for making sure that they were moderating political conversations in a, in a more robust way. So it's weird to me that they're getting handed it the same problem. But bringing us back to the article, and then I've got one more point on this. You can tell I have a thought or two on this, on this subject. But the article really talks about the fact that what's killing publishers is brand adjacency, and they don't understand its real worth. And so you know, the belief is that Facebook became very powerful because you could say, hey, we're just going to micro-target the particular audience. What they forgot to say was the context of the types of discussion that might be going on around your... I mean, you might find the person who's looking for dog food, but next to that person or in that person's feed, maybe their cousin Jerry, who is a racist and is saying something stupid. 
And there's no way to protect against that or to moderate it effectively in that way. And so the idea here is that if part of this discussion that we're all having now, which is good to have the discussion about Facebook or no Facebook, uh, platform, no platform, is does that shift the conversation more to, towards understanding the value of that and then bringing it back to the idea of, this sounds kind of quaint to me, but I remember as a child in the dentist office, which was the only time I opened up magazines because you're terrified of what they're about to do to you and you just want to look at the highlights for kids. But in the middle of the highlights for kids is the Jif peanut butter and jelly ad. And you're, as a kid, you're like, yeah, I like Jif. This is great. Mom, next week, asks, what kind of peanut butter do you, should we get at the store? I'm going to say Jif. So the, the idea of context being incredibly important to where you see an ad could shift. I think that's, that was my, you know, that, that the publishers themselves who have been beholden to Facebook, could that shift and the power go back? Any thoughts on that point before I? Well, back to your earlier point about, you know, brands already cutting back on Facebook spending and then acting like they're doing it for a social reason. I think people are getting savvier Mm -hmm. to that. And just like the Coca-Cola thing where they owned up, we were cutting back anyway. I think you're going to see more and more people appreciate the authenticity of that as opposed to, I think people are starting to see through that. And I think it's going to get that way. Um, exactly. And that's where like, I, I applaud, I think it was Patagonia was one of the first, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's, that was the discussion on Twitter. I think even Will Duterstad was like, you should absolutely do this, but why you need a press release to get an attaboy for it doesn't make any sense either. Because in yeah. the grand picture of things, you're changing a word and that's not the real problem. It should be changed, but you don't need a press release for it. I think the first mover advantage here is clear of if you really believed in this and you made the move before the trend started, then you're going to get natural PR. But, but as more and more people pile on, the question is, why are you really doing it? And then the ironic thing from a financial and purely business standpoint, there's over 8 million advertisers on the platform and something like 200-ish major brands, probably by the time this comes out, it'll be around 200. I think it's actually like 160, 170 right now, have said they're going to reduce or cut their, their spend for some period of time. And uh, J.P. Morgan Chase... And Goldman Sachs analysts both looked at the numbers and said, this means nothing really to Facebook whatsoever. The power of having 8 million advertisers is that Unilever, which is one of the companies that said we're out, doesn't actually spend the vast majority of their marketing dollars on digital anyway. So they're not that big of a name as you would think because they've never invested in the platform the way that a small business has. So most of the people advertising on on Facebook and Instagram are small businesses who ironically, anytime anyone else chooses not to advertise, makes each one of their ads less expensive, more mm-hmm. affordable, and gets more results, which will make small, small and medium-sized businesses love the platform even more. And the, the irony of one of those reports, I forget which one, was basically at the end of all this, Facebook and Instagram are likely to be stronger off financially. So it's also the law of unintended consequences, which if you've ever read the book Freakonomics, is one of my greatest <laughs> things. Like, how in the world can reducing graffiti amounts also lead to a reduction in crime? Or why do realtors always sell their own house for more, for more money than someone else's house? It's a great book. They've got podcasts as well. You should listen to. But the law of unintended consequences is here by boycotting something, even though it's because you believe in it. In this instance, it may make the small and medium-sized businesses cling to Facebook and Instagram even more because they're going to see the ROI potentially even moderately increase or slightly increase and like it even more. So for those people who, who do feel strongly that Facebook has a problem, and I don't think anyone would, would say that they haven't seen a lot of different things on Facebook in their lifetime, that they're like, what in the <laughs> world is this right now? Yes. I don't think we have an answer of what to do, certainly if 4 million of, of all the businesses carry on. But again, we're not a political show or a, or a moral, moral relevancy show. Either. <laughs> so it's, 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 it is interesting. And I do think there will be some publishers or some advertisers who do say like this, you know what? Uh, if, we can't, if we can't guarantee that we're not going to be around certain types of content, we do really care about the context of it. I mean, think about Coca-Cola where they've spent so much time and energy on their messaging. And they have 
venues, sports venues, concert venues, restaurants, all these other places where experientially you're using the product, you have a good feeling and they have more control over the context of their message. It makes total sense why that. Of course, that sports and concerts. We don't know when those are coming back. Yeah, we don't know when those are coming back, which also might have something to do with why they're, why they're saving their pennies for now. All right, moving on to a piece of content from Trust Insights. They're the folks who... Trust Insights is a, is a company we featured on the podcast before. Two of the founders are also have a podcast called Marketing Over Coffee, which I've listened to off and on for, gosh, probably five, five, four or five years now. And they've, they've got really great guests on all the time as well. You should listen to that. Super smart guys. They love analytics, data, and AI, uh, especially Christopher Penn, who usually writes uh, most of the content in the newsletters. And so Thais found one bit of content particularly interesting, just talking about marketing predictions for the second half of 2020. So basically, how do, how do you avoid panic? Is one piece here from the, from the content is solid planning. Based upon different scenarios, do you have a plan? And I thought that we'll get into specifics of, of what we, we might think is, is a marketing prediction for the second half of the year. But in the meantime, just that concept of, we can probably envision at least a couple different scenarios of what the second half might look like. Whereas, think about where you were on March 6th. We had no idea what was going to happen. Right? <laughs> yeah. There's almost a, anyone who made a concrete prediction one way or the other was probably still mostly wrong. And so, it, while the end result and clarity there is still fuzzy, we know enough to probably come up with three or four different potential variations of what's likely to happen. Makes me think about why weren't we doing this? By this, I mean making several different marketing plans and projections based on what we think will happen instead of just having one because you never know. Yeah. Yeah. You mean like, well, that's a great point and it's causing my too many thoughts to happen at the same time and it's slowing me down. But this goes back to my concept of what, what drives marketing. You know, what are you ultimately responsible for? It's sales. And mm -hmm. so then why do I dislike content calendars as a general idea? Because people want to do the same thing as they do with their overall strategy and budget. They want to plan it out for some extended period of time Okay, it's July. We know what we're going to talk about uh, the week of November 13th now. Don't, doesn't that feel good? And my answer is no, it doesn't feel good because I have no idea what November 13th is going to have in terms of what the company needs. And I want to be filling needs for the company that, that results in more sales or, or the sales from the right area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You had a like, thought, Julie? Yeah, it just, to me, it, it feels a lot like in, in public relations, you come up with like some crisis management you know, you sit down and have your plan for crisis management. I mean, it feels like, like Becca said, we need to do that a little more in other areas, you know, just to prepare for, for anything. And you can't prepare, prepare is the wrong word, but just to be nimble. And just what we've seen, you know, with the builders we've worked with, is that the ones that are prepared and are nimble and can make moves as things change are the ones who've had a bulk of the success during all this. So it just keeps you from panicking. <laughs> yeah. So I want to keep going down this rabbit hole a little bit more. I want to say Andrew because Becca's <laughs> logged in under Andrew and it's got an Andrew's name. You don't look like an Andrew though. No, nope. like there's too many Beccas now. So she's just decided. <laughs> yeah. to not I'm Andrew <laughs> number two. There you go. Andrew number two. She's over the Becca thing. Now. <laughs> what, what's the problem that I would have with a builder who said two years ago, you know what? This on-demand access thing is so great. We're buying locks for everything and it's how we're going to do business the end. Like timing is such an important part of strategy. Yeah. And so you could have a great strategy and never need to use it because the timing never lines up. And so the idea is to steal from Jim Collins, the author of Good to Great. You're, you're trying to always be firing bullets because bullets don't take a lot of gunpowder. Gunpowder, in this case, meaning time and money and energy to test something. So when we talk about home builder budgets and we say one to 2% of that budget should be used for experimentation, that's, that's both a stretching point for some people who never want to try anything new 
Like, oh my gosh, you're going to make me spend a 1% of my budget and I don't know what's going to happen with it. Yes, we have to stretch you to make you be trying and testing new things. And then there's other people who we've worked with many of them over the years who, you know, as soon as uh, a TikTok shows up, okay, well, we want to spend 15% of our budget on TikTok. Huh? What? Why? Slow down. Just slow down. Let's just try it out and see what happens. So I think to your, the, the best way to combat uh, and be prepared for the multiple plan idea is to always be testing, to be firing bullets, yeah. to have two locks for an on-demand access product, test it out, see what the pros and cons are. And I keep coming back to Redfin, who had a virtual tour option built two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. And it didn't, no one wanted to do it. They they had it on there and they tried to make it bigger and more pronounced and try to trick people in all different ways. They couldn't get more than I think they said 2% of all of the calls to action being taken to be that virtual option. So they got rid of it. Same thing could have happened for a builder with on-demand access. If you tried it a year ago and said, you know what, it's okay, it's not great, then it allows you to adapt that strategy. But so, so I guess when you say strategy, Becca, or plan, mm-hmm. yeah, I keep coming back to how big of a strategy do you need to have overall beyond just we want to get as many good leads as we need to hit our sales goal. That's kind of like the only plan I start every year with. <laughs> how many leads do I need to get to the sales number I want? And then how do I find them most effectively? But all the small plans within that, the tactical questions. Yeah, because you need to plan for your growth if you think you're going to have a growth year. Mm-hmm. And that means, do you have enough people to build the houses? Do you have enough suppliers for the products that you put into your houses so that you don't have a disruption in delivering the houses on time to the customers to ruin your reputation. You know, you want to keep and maintain your reputation of great customer service and all of these pieces kind of plug in there. So while some years you might be able to grow 30%, some years you might actually contract because you can't find land. Like you kind of have to have, a, at least I think you need to have a plan of, okay, this is our best case scenario. We've got plenty of lots on the ground. We can run full force or, hey, we're having hard time sourcing. So two years down the road, we're going to have a harder time filling all of those orders. You just kind of got to look at all the different pieces and try to come up with, I think, a couple of different scenarios, like maybe a conservative one, middle of the road, and then a really like, we're going for it plan. And then based on the environment of the economy and your your ability to be nimble, mm-hmm. you can kind of pick between the three or adjust one of the three to fit where you want to be or can actually achieve. Yep. And then within that, I just think it's important to experiment with things that you don't have a problem with. Yeah. Because again, the the threshold of, well, even in the last month or two, is everyone's having record sales numbers. And, and they're like, Kevin, what, what, should I, what should I be thinking about that I'm not thinking about? And some of them, it's still, you need to go order some locks. Yeah. We're, they're having record sales numbers in the middle of the pandemic. Why do I need locks? Because we don't know when else you, when, when that may become more important for you. Yeah. And so now is the time to just try it. And everyone should be focused on the customer experience. And especially if build times may get longer as we keep selling further and further out into the future, how do you communicate with people while they're under construction and make them feel included and important and not lost and forgotten? All that's important too, but also you still need to circle back to the stuff that you don't need. And that's, we talked about this, I think last time, but that's where the online sales program was also the thing that a lot of builders didn't know they needed as badly as they needed it until the pandemic hit. And so they didn't, it wasn't so much a shift in complete strategy. It was just how much of this process do we use throughout our entire organization? Well, suddenly now it's 95% or 100% of it's going through this, this one part of your company. Well, and some of this comes back to like looking at your company culture. You know, if any little change or trying something new, you have to get through layers and layers to get uh, there and it scares yeah. everybody to death. Just but quit. if you have a company culture of like... <laughs> We're going to make some changes. We're going to try some stuff. Steve was one who would walk in my office (laughs) 
and, you know, land something on me, we're going to try this. And I'll be like, but I need details. I need plans. He'd be like, yeah, it'll work out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know, I respect that because he wasn't afraid to like, let's try this. You know, we have the ability, let's jump in and do it. So part of it is just looking at your company culture and be like, are we all just too afraid? And does it take too much time to move our ship? Or are we able to move our ship as we need to? Yeah. Yep. Like marketing is being able to answer the questions you didn't know you had or that the ship didn't know they had so that it keeps on course, if that makes yep. sense. So back back to the three scenarios that in the article here, they're talking about kind of planning for and thinking through is that one of these three things is likely to be what is affecting you and your organization, either a continued severe economic contra- contraction with economic activity down by 50% or more, depending on the sector, a shallow prolonged economic downturn after a rebound once shutdowns mitigate or bounce back to economic activities nearing 80, 90% of pre-pandemic levels. And that last one may be what we're doing right now. It may be that the reason that the end of April, May, June, and July is off to such a strong start is simply because the year was already so great and then it was suppressed and now it's just responding and we're going to go back to still a good market, but not quite as great as we are living through right at the moment. We don't, we don't know. But those are the three different scenarios that they suggested sitting down and planning around for the second half. I, I still think overall, this market we're in is going to now be a, a ride that we're on through the end of the spring market of 2021. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most likely scenario, but no one knows. All right. 360 topic of the week. everything you ever wanted to know about Bryce Baker. So <laughs> Bryce, number one, Becca, number three, uh, tell, tell us where you come from and, uh, and how long you've been there and what you were doing. So I come from Just Becomes, which is a new construction builder out of Virginia, but we're also in the Raleigh and North Myrtle Beach submarket. And I did all their digital marketing. I started the well, assistant with Carrie, I helped build the marketing team from the ground up, pulling it all from an agency. So I have that background and knowledge to help our builders, partners um, through any assistance they may need for that. So that was like my main core. I did all of their digital marketing, ad spend, and then that website management as well. Yeah. And then some floor plan stuff and you know, all the really exciting yeah. things that you do as a marketer. Yeah. All the super <laughs> exciting things. We all love those. <laughs> so I think what's interesting is the building of the department from the ground up and complete reliance before on an outside agency who was doing a good job by all accounts, but wasn't as progressive as you guys wanted to be and kind of working through what that meant. And what it meant is, or and means now, is that Chesapeake went from a department of zero in marketing to two people on the team full-time. Two people on the team full-time, and then Carrie is the sales and marketing director there. Fantastic so, person as well. Yeah. Carrie, hello, if you're listening. Yeah, she's um, great. And then they also have two online salespeople, right? Mm-hmm. So. And when I first started, we only had one. So we really, really took the department and we grew it drastically and little under three years. Now, what was your major in college, Bryce? My major was uh, marketing and business analytics. Okay. So that's what I was wanting to talk about. Yeah. I really got to know Bryce well. We did a clandestine uh, super secret event in Columbus with a couple builders on marketing and Bryce was there and we were going through Google Analytics. Two years ago? Yeah, two and a half. Yeah. Run through a, a, a section on Google Analytics rather in depth. And Bryce mentions that she was a business analytics major in school. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, come on up here. You take the class. Like, I'll have a seat because I'm, I'm just an old man who had to figure this out on his own with no help from higher education. <laughs> and it shocked me completely when Bryce was like, we've never talked or looked at. Google Analytics in any way, shape, or form. Oh, not like, at all. Wow. That's when I realized that 
I wasn't completely crazy when I thought that there was a lack of of training opportunities and and good content around how to act. A lot of good content on why you need to hire a partner to help you with X, Y, or Z. But in terms of just this is how it works. Most universe. I still I, I jokingly say I went to school to be. I was an art major, computer graphic arts major, and for I don't know the forty grand a year that my parents had to pay, they gave me Adobe Classroom and a book for Photoshop and Illustrator and said, do, do the tutorials, turn in the finished work, class is over. Like we just sat there and used the Adobe Classroom in a book. So it's crazy that higher education isn't doing more to get people ready to do digital marketing. Yeah. And I even think my feedback to the university because after graduating and starting a career, they often come back and they ask, what was something that you would recommend us improving upon? And there's just so many startup companies out there. And even if they would just give mm-hmm. students access to their accounts, just to play into, you never know what they might tap in yeah. for you. But it's just shocking that they don't even give students the ability to even grasp the concept of tying analytics into data to report and to provide in any way, shape, or form. It's all your sentences and read X to get Y and output. <laughs> <laughs> it's just crazy. Okay, one last question and then I've got a, a bonus question for everyone. But for you, Bryce, what is the thing about digital marketing that you've most enjoyed learning about? Either a specific platform or an approach to it? What's, what's the favorite thing that you've learned uh, since working for a home builder about digital My favorite thing is to see the full circle. So watching a lead come in through Facebook, BDX, Zillow, Mm -hmm. depending on which source they come in through and watching them go to contract and seeing how they nurtured in the AOSC, seeing how they're nurtured in the sales at the models and watching it go in complete circle, strictly from an ad that you might have placed on Facebook. That is my win. And I love to watch that happen. Yeah. And lots of things you can learn about and, and kind of small micro stories and that you're telling yourself as you're looking at all these other numbers and realizing that there's all these individual stories and journeys happening in there. And then how can you help either get, yeah. get mm-hmm. more of those or help them move through faster and quicker. Awesome. All right. Exactly. So to fulfill my, my threat to Andrew <laughs> that we were going to talk about him, the final <laughs> bonus question is, what do you think is the most... Actually, you can, you can just share anything you want to, whether it's working with Andrew historically, working with Andrew now, that you think other people would be surprised by or not know about Andrew. I've got one. All right, Becca. He has an obsession with monster energy drinks. He does. Ooh, really? Yes. yes. Uh-huh. If you... I think... You, were you his secret but Santa he, last year? So, someone just no. got him like... 80 cans of monster <laughs> delivered from Amazon for his secret Santa gift one year. I remember that. Yeah. Yes. Yep. He loves his caffeine, whether it's coffee, monster, he loves his caffeine for sure. He sent us a picture over Slack of his, he's being very handy right now with his new fireplace and his surround and his, um, <laughs> so I don't know, Becca and Kevin, y'all probably know better than me. Is he always handy like this or is this a new sticking his toe into the water? Um, on his home home project. He likes it. <laughs> I know he did a lot of fixing up in his old house to sell it. And I think he mm-hmm. likes, maybe he well, likes really doing cool. it now. I don't know. I like what he's working on. I think his wife really likes him doing his <laughs> projects. <laughs> But the second thing is that his wife doesn't like when he gets, and this is very common, uh, his wife is not a big fan when he gets about 95% done, and then it takes as long as the initial project to get the last 5%. Some of you might understand that. Myself. Like, I remember we redid all of the hardwood floor in the first house we built. We moved in, and two weeks after we moved into a brand new home, we ripped up all the linoleum floors on the first floor because Right Rug gave us a discount on hardwood flooring. So we bought these this huge crate of cherry hardwood, and we redid all the floors ourselves. But the chair mold did not go back on for at least two months after the whole thing yeah. was done because it was just that last little bit. Uh, uh-huh. That's good. I feel like that's common though. Hear that everywhere. Yep. So common. Yep. So everyone knows that he mm-hmm. is a weightlifter. 
and is goes to the gym. I would say obsessively. I think that's fair. I don't think he'd be mad at me for saying that. I think he's he's truly obsessed with it. But many of you may not know that he also plays guitar at church. I didn't know that. So I don't know if Aww. he can sing. I'm assuming that also means he can sing, which means that at the online summit, online sales and marketing summit for 2021, I think he should be our cocktail reception. Absolutely. Entertainment. Oh yeah. Yes. But I love this. He does play. You guitar. should see if you can yeah. put a whole band together. Who else is coming to the summit that plays an instrument? You could have a whole um, Oh, okay. I no. thought you meant to do you convert. No, I was like, I, I don't, don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think Mike plays the kazoo. I think. <laughs> I'm saying musically deficient that want to be in the band. Maybe. Yes. Well, that's a great <laughs> idea. Maybe he needs to do a little guitar solo in our next Yes, we need to do that, Julie. We will send out and try Mm -hmm. to get a band together because I already have the name of the band. Um, So now we just need need the players in the band. It's the converters. (laughs) Oh, yes. The converters all playing together at the summit. That'd be fantastic. All right. This week's question of the week. Does your company ownership or leadership truly understand the difference between good leads and bad leads and the cost of a bad lead in your organization. Are they obsessed with the quality of the leads, the quantity, or both? Now, anytime we do a survey, we know that your boss may be watching. So here's what we're going to do so that everyone else knows, but they won't because your boss isn't listening to this show. Now, you just you vote whatever you want to, but then in the comment section, just put A or B. A meaning they're all about quantity and B meaning they're all about quality. So Thank we'll just you. totally fool them. The, the actual poll means nothing. Just put down A or B in the comments and don't tell anyone else what it means. I think that does it. For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye. See ya. Bye.